All right, so we are finishing up tonight, as I mentioned, the book of First Peter, and we've been looking at this. This is our uh, 14th week, if you can believe it. Maybe you can. Um, and we are uh, finishing tonight, and let me just kind of remind us what, uh, what Peter's doing with this letter. Peter writes this letter to the church, kind of scattered all throughout various regions, and he intros the letter and says it's to exiles. So people as Christians, especially during this time, that were experiencing life as an outcast. So they're persecuted and they maybe are outcast by their family and by their co-workers and thought of as kind of weird. They're kind of on the, the outskirts of society. They're not necessarily well thought of and well liked. There's all sorts of rumors about them that they're cannibals, partially because of the, uh, the communion supper that they would take. There was incest because everyone called each other brother and sister and all this talk about love. So there's all these kind of accusations and rumors and they're really thought of to be on the outside of society. And Peter writes this letter to help them, to encourage them, to teach them, to help them understand what it looks like to live with purpose in the middle of a world that we don't ultimately belong in. What does it look like to be God's people living life with a purpose in the middle of a world we don't ultimately belong in? It's not ultimately our home. And so that's, that's why Peter writes this letter. He wants to help them, love them, serve them as a good pastor. And so if you were Peter, how would you close your letter? What would you, what would you put in the letter? What, what would you end with? And Peter says something here in the end of his letter that's something that really a lot of churches don't talk about. It's really something that we don't think a lot about if we're kind of thinking about all the different concepts of what does it mean to walk with Jesus and what does it mean to be his people with a purpose? What does that mean? This is something we don't often think that much about and yet Peter includes this in the end to really help these people and to help to help us. And this is how I want us to, to think about this as we kind of jump into what Peter has to say tonight. I want, I want you to imagine that you have somebody in your life that really doesn't like you. Maybe that's easy for you to imagine, but I want you to imagine somebody that not just doesn't like you, but is out to get you. They just want to see you fail for whatever reason. They want to harm you. They're making plans to get you to fail. Maybe they're even pretending they're your friend to help you to fail, pretending that they like you, pretending that they want good for you, all designed to see you fail. That that's their whole goal, their whole passion, their whole purpose is they want to see you fail. I mean, imagine that there's someone like that in your life. And what Peter says really is that we've all got someone like that in our life. And this is the person that the Bible calls Satan. And I'm sure you know about the devil. I'm sure you know about Satan. But how much do you know? What, what do you know about the devil? I mean, how do you know he's there? But what do you know about how he works and what his goals are and what his purpose is and, and, and actually how he lays out his plans? And who, who is he after? Does he actually have any involvement in your life? Is it rare? Is it only certain people? Is it everybody? I mean, what's, how much do you actually know about the devil, because the Bible actually talks a lot about Satan and about the devil. In fact, every, every single author in the New Testament and almost every single book in the New Testament, the writers see fit to talk about the devil. So it's a very important piece of what does it mean to walk with Jesus, that we have to understand that there is an enemy that actually wants to harm us. 
that pursues us to see us fail, that pursues us in our life. And it's something we don't give a lot of thought to, right? I mean, it's just, just honestly, we probably, you probably didn't wake up this morning thinking about the devil. Um, I, maybe you did, but it's not something that a lot of us think about. You can go to many, many churches for many, many, many years and really never hear anything about the devil. And yet Peter sees fit tonight to talk about him. And the truth is this, if we don't know how he works, if we don't know what his goals are, and if we don't know then how to resist him, then we just leave our life open to his influence. And he wants to have influence in every single one of our lives. And I'm not saying that to just kind of set up, you know, scariness and fear-mongering or something. It's just because the Bible talks about him. And this is what Peter shares with us tonight. So let's, let's read this text, the end of Peter's letter, and then, and then uh, explore some important questions about this enemy in our life. So here's what, here's what Peter says, uh, starting in verse, uh, let's see, verse 8. Here's what he says, verse 8, chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Yeah, exactly. That is the appropriate response. Okay. <laughs> Perfectly timed. Thank you. Um, if you could do that all night long, I will give you $5. Okay. So resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced. <laughs> that was just perfect. By your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, this is someone writing with Paul, uh, sorry, with Peter, a faithful brother as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, that's code for Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. If everyone could stand up for a moment. No, I'm just kidding. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So this is how Peter ends the letter. And really out of this text, there's some important questions. Who is the devil? What, what What are his goals? How does he accomplish them? And how do we resist? If we need to, uh, I mean, rather, we need to see that we have an enemy, and we need to understand who he is, how he works, what he's after, and how we can resist the influence he has in our life, okay? This is what Peter shows us. So first, who is the devil? Who is the devil? Because this is weird. I mean, I'll just admit it. I can just say, just be honest, that it's weird to kind of talk about the devil. It's just kind of, I mean, almost sometimes we think, really, do, I mean, do we even believe in the devil? I mean, most people believe in God. Way more people statistically believe in God than believe in the devil. There's people that say that they are Christians, that claim to be Christians, that would say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the devil. Or people that are not Christians, but just are general theists, people that say, yeah, I believe in a loving God that's out there somewhere, don't know all that much about him, but uh, I don't buy into the whole devil thing. I had someone that told me that recently that says, yeah, you know, I, I believe in a God, but I, uh, the whole devil thing, eh, I'm not, not so much into that. And it's something that we have to ask the question, who is the devil? And maybe for you tonight, even asking that question just seems immature or seems archaic or seems unsophisticated that we would even agree that there is a devil. And I just want to say one thing briefly to that, which is this. If you respect Jesus, which a lot of people do, 
If you look to Jesus and you think, man, I, I love a lot of what Jesus taught. Turn the other cheek and man, don't judge people and God is love and some great things that Jesus taught. Jesus talked a lot about the devil. And so if we want to respect Jesus and look to him as a teacher and look to him as someone that we think is a, is a worthy example or any of those types of things that maybe you would look to Jesus for, we have to also respect his opinion on the devil. Otherwise, it's kind of biased. We're just picking and choosing what we think of him, what we think from him. Okay, he's a great teacher on this, but not, not on this. But if we want to accept who Jesus is and what he says, we should look at the totality of what he says and not just what, what we like or what we're drawn to. So maybe you don't even believe in the devil, and I would just ask you to consider that. But secondly is, if we do believe in the devil, who is he? What, 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 what do we know about the devil? Because even if we do believe in the devil, I think that oftentimes we just have a really goofy conception of him. I mean, there's kind of a, a few things that come to mind if we think about the devil. One is kind of this image, which is just kind of like, I mean, it's just kind of like your weird, crazy uncle or something, right? I mean, he's not, maybe he's wearing red tights and he's just got a weird goatee going on. And uh, I mean, just, it's just kind of a, I mean, that's kind of one of the pictures that we think of with the devil. Or maybe even more on the cute side. We had trick-or-treaters that came to our house and there was like a little five-year-old kid dressed up and was, I'm the devil. And it's like, oh, that's, I mean, it seems almost cute, right? Oh, the devil, he's so cute and cuddly. Or even um, sports teams. We name a lot of sports teams after devils. I grew up part of my life in Walla Walla in eastern Washington, and there's a team there called the Blue Devils, and I mean, all over the place, teams are called the Devils, right? So that's kind of one side. Even if we do believe in the devil, it's almost just this kind of silly, goofy, yeah, he's out there, but he's just kind of your crazy uncle that's just getting into trouble all the time. Another kind of conception of Satan or the devil is, is more kind of what we see in the movies, right? And there's actually a lot of fascination with the devil, I mean, every single year, tons and tons of movies are put out about demons or Satan or the devil, and he's usually after some random teenagers or people that are in some house that they shouldn't be in. Or it's just, it's, he's just kind of into random acts of evil, right? I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, these are just some recent movies. Sorry if that's going to give you nightmares, but I mean, just some, it's just, man, who, who is the devil? He's just this, uh, I'm just going to leave that up there the rest of the time, okay? Uh, um... Let's see here. There we go. Uh, I don't want to scare the children. Um, It's just that conception of the devil is not necessarily this silly, goofy thing. It's more, man, he's evil and he's scary and he's horrible. But to who? Just kind of random people, right? I mean, there's not, it's just this, I walked into the wrong house. There's an Indian burial graveyard or what? I mean, just random things, right? It's just kind of whoops, I guess the devil doesn't like me today. It's just a random, just, or maybe it's more that I sold my soul to the devil and he's, he's kind of involved with those people. But both of them are, I mean, that's not the conception that the Bible presents. And Peter doesn't want us to just believe in the devil. And the Bible doesn't just want us to believe in the devil, but to really understand who he is. To really understand who he is. So who is he? Who is the devil? What Peter says is he is wise and dangerous. That he's wise and dangerous. And Peter uses the image of a lion. He uses the image of a lion and says, and he kind of helps us to understand a few different parts of a lion. And he says this about lion, that he's like a prowling lion. 
And what do you think of when you think of a prowling lion? See, this gets at the idea that the devil is wise. See, a lion that's prowling, what are they, I mean, they're hiding. They're not just out in the open going, hi, I'm a lion. Dear, I'm coming after you now. They, they're sneaky. They hide. They're careful. They're planning. They're disciplined. They, they, they're patient. They take their time. They know their prey very well. They're not just out in the open. They're waiting for the right moment. They follow. They, and this, is, this is part of what Peter says the devil is like, that he's prowling, that he's wise. And not only that, but that he is like a roaring lion. And, and what do you think of when you think of a roaring lion? See, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion, kind of combining both of those images of the, the sneakiness and the wisdom, but then the danger See, a roar, I mean, if, if you walked up to a lion for whatever dumb reason and the lion decided to roar at you, you wouldn't say, oh, well, nice to meet you too, right? That strikes fear. The roaring gets at that he's against you. He's not for you. He's against you. And a lion that roars wants you to know and see its power. It wants to instill and strike fear. The roaring aspect shows this, the devil is dangerous. He is wise and dangerous. He is prowling and roaring. So these are kind of broad images, but this is the conception that Peter wants us to begin to have about who the devil is, about who the enemy is, is that he is someone wise and dangerous. Wise and dangerous. And so what, what's his goal? What, what, is it that, what is it that the devil's after? What does he want to do? Okay, so we know who he is. He's a lion that is wise and dangerous. But what's his goal? What's on his bucket list? What what, what is it that he is after? What is he trying to do in your life, in my life, in the world? What is it that he's after? And then Peter uses this image of a lion that he is seeking to devour. And I know this is graphic, but this is what Peter wants to conjure up. He says he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what this means. This is, I actually put in, lion devouring prey. This is what he's trying to conjure up. That what Satan is after, what the devil is after, is to devour. Now what does that mean? It doesn't mean he literally wants to put his fangs into our necks. But what it means is spiritually he's seeking to devour. That what the devil is after is to spiritually devour our faith. That what he wants to do in our life is devour, to eat up, to destroy, to harm, to attack, to kill, to harm, to, to, to just utterly devour, consume our faith, which is our trust in God, our reliance on God, our peace in God, our rest in God, our satisfaction and joy and content. In God. What he wants to do is to devour our faith. Faith is, it's everything, right? So, I mean, he wants to go after our faith because that leads to every other piece in life. Who you view God as, how you enjoy God, how you trust God, how you build your life on God, that leads to every single other piece of our lives. So if he can get at the fountain, he can get at everything else. He wants to devour our faith. That's his goal. And listen to this. The devil is not Walmart. 
It's very interesting what he says here. The devil is into craft devouring. He says, and this is some, the Bible doesn't always use this kind of language, but Peter wants to make it explicit. He says, your adversary, the devil. He does not say just the devil or Satan or the enemy. He says, your adversary, the devil. It is, the devil is, he knows you. He's very personal. Like a prowling lion that has watched you from the day you were born. That has watched humans and knows humans in general, but has looked at you and followed you and watched you and prowled around knowing you. Your adverse, your devil. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's how we should think. Of, that's what Peter says. He's your devil. He's your lion committed to you in a negative way. Right? Don't mean like your pet lion. He's your lion that's after you. Your devil. This is what his goal is. His goal is to devour our faith in a very personal way. He knows each and every one of us in this room. So, how does he do it? How does he work? His goal is to devour our faith. That's his goal. How does he do it? I mean, what do you think the devil would do if that is what he's after? How would he bring about those goals? And and Peter says some of this and implies some of this, but really the rest of the teaching in the Bible, I'm going to give us kind of three major ways that the devil seeks to accomplish that goal that the Bible presents to us. These are the three primary ways that he seeks to do that. And the first is this, temptation. The first primary way, and just ordinary way that the devil works in our lives is temptation. Now, this is one of the geniuses of the devil, is that he is not, if if he wants to attack you, the way that he seeks to attack is not necessarily to attack, but to say, I've got some things I'd like to give to you. I'd like some good. That I, so Adam and Eve back in the garden, okay, if you remember that story. Adam and Eve in the garden, and God gives them two trees and says, this tree gives you life forever with me, enjoying me in my presence with one another. This tree, do not eat of it. That's the one tree you can't eat. Satan manifests himself as a serpent. He does not, when Eve comes up to him, jump off the tree and bite her in the face, right? Instead, he says, hey, I've got some good things I want to give to you, right? If you think of an enemy, we usually think of an enemy that's out to get us, attack us, shoot us. This is an enemy that says, hey, come over here. I got some good stuff for you. I want to be your friend. I want to hang out with you. I want to help you. I'm your buddy. See, this is temptation. It's, it's when the devil approaches us and says, I've got good for you. And ever since the garden, ever since the garden of Eden, there's two big lies that the devil speaks. Two big lies. And he told them to Adam and Eve, and he tells them to us all the time. The first is this. The first is that what he offers is good. So on the tree, God said, do not eat of this fruit. And the devil says, no, 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 no. Look at this fruit. It's beautiful. It's tasty. Oh, mmm, smells good. Oh, oh. Mm, oh, it just feels so good on my teeth and my tongue. That's what he does. He says how good, he, his first lie is it's good. It's good. Whatever it is that God forbids, whatever it is that God says no to, whatever it is in our lives, in your life right now, that God says no, 
Here, the devil says, no, 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 listen, it's good. And that, that kind of fleshes itself out in many different ways. One of those ways is this, that he tells us no harm will come to you. That's what he told Adam and Eve. He said, no, you won't die. You won't die. And all, all the time in our lives, it's good. Just enjoy it right now. Don't think about the consequences. Don't think about tomorrow. Just enjoy this right now. It's good. Or maybe even says, look, it's so good. You need this. This is what you need. If you want to be happy, you deserve this. This is good. It's good. You need it. You deserve it. It'll make you happy. In fact, without it, you can't be happy. This fruit is so good. He appeals to our senses. He appeals to our hearts. He often begins to encourage us to dream of how good this thing would be, whatever it is. Maybe even in your life right now, there's things that you are thinking about that keep coming to your mind. What if, maybe it's, you know, what if I wasn't a Christian? I could do this, I could do that. What if I wasn't married? I could do this, I could do that. What if I, what if I just had more freedom? If I could just, ah, it begins to just encourage these things in our minds. It's good, it's good. Think about it. Look at it from this angle. Look at it from that angle. See it. It's good. He's a marketer. He shows us all the great things about this particular thing and speaks to us and shows us commercial after commercial after commercial. Maybe there's even things right now that he speaks into your life that you listen to. Maybe things that you've kind of put out of your mind and said, I'm not going to do that. No, and it just keeps coming back. No, look, it's good. Trust me. It's good. Maybe you open up the computer and you scroll through and there's just things that you keep coming back to. You keep Googling. You keep typing in. You keep just things that just, ah, that you hear over and over. It's good. It's good. It's good. This is what he says. This is the first lie that, that the devil gives is that it's good. And the second one that he says is this, that you can be like God. That's what he told Adam and Eve, eat this fruit and you can be like God. And really what this is, is a focus on ourself. So over and over again, he, as he's seeking to tempt us, as he's seeking to draw us into something, he says, look, think about yourself. Think about you, how you will look. This will make you strong. This will make you smart. This will make you powerful. This will make you well-liked. This will make you respected. This will make you successful. Think about yourself. You need to put yourself first. You need to think about you. This is one of the core ways he tempts us, is that you can be like God. Maybe not in those words, but the things that who God is. You can be smart. You can be powerful. You can be liked. You can be respected. You can be like God. He speaks that. And it's good. We hear it as good. And, he, and here's the thing with temptation. This is particular instances where he says, look, this is good over here. But it's also whole ways of life whole patterns of living that he says, this is good. God has said, no, this is life. And he has said, no, this is life. This is good. Trust me, trust me. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm your friend. This is what he did to Adam and Eve. This is 
to devour our faith. And listen, this is indirect. So if you want to attack someone's faith, one way you could do that, and and think about it like this, okay? Our faith is, here's me, and here's God, and I'm looking at God, and I'm worshiping God, and I'm trusting God, and I'm delighting in God, and I love God, and my life is built on God. And so one way to, to harm that is to step in the middle and go, no, 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 don't do that. Don't worship God, don't like God, don't listen to God, don't, don't do that. But another way to do it is to say, hey, over here, look at this. You're not even speaking about that, you're just saying, look how awesome this is. Look how good this is. Look how great this is. So you don't, you're, you're no, you don't even view in your life that you're necessarily going, oh, I don't like God anymore. I'm not trusting God anymore. I'm not building my life on God anymore. It's just, oh, I love this. I've got faith in this. I trust this. I rely on this. This is my joy. This is my peace. This is my satisfaction. This is my, this is my life. See, that's what temptation is. Temptation is kind of an indirect way to devour faith. If you're an army and you want to attack another army or some sort of village, you can just go straight at them. Just let's do this man to man. Bring it on. But you can also cut off their water supply, cut off their food supply, cut off the source of life. That's what temptation is. It begins to divert our attention, our affection, our love, our trust, and other things. This is one of the main ways that he works. Where has this happened for you? Where has this happened for you? Second thing he does is deception. So the first way that Satan works, the first way he seeks to accomplish his goal of devouring our faith is through temptation. And I want you to think about all three of these things and think about where is this active in my life right now? Second is deception. Deception is this. This is where he blinds us. The Bible says that the devil blinds the minds, blinds the eyes of those who do not know him and that that is part of his work in the world is to blind eyes that what he is after is to blind us from seeing the truth. The Bible also says that the whole world is under the power of the evil one, which means this, that every piece of the world is under his influence in some way, that he seeks to influence every part of the world, that he seeks to influence politics and entertainment and sports and education and society, civilization, family, Marriage, he seeks to put his hands and his influence into everything. That's what he seeks to do. Now, I'm not saying everything in the world is ruled by Satan and from Satan, but I'm saying, and what the Bible says, is that he seeks to influence all of it. And that we are deceived often. We're blind to how he's working. This is, what, this is one of the ways he can devour our faith. And, and part of how this works is because we're blind, Everything seems okay. So if you can get someone to be blind, then life looks okay. Right? If you're spiritually blind, you look around and, man, everything looks great because you don't really see what he's doing. You might even go, yeah, sin is bad and the devil is bad. All the while, the lion is munching on your leg. That's what blindness is. That's what deception is that he blinds us so we do not see accurately, we do not see clearly. Part of how he does this, part of how he blinds us, is distracting us. 
See, one way you can blind someone is one way that you can keep somebody from seeing is distracting them to look at other things. This is what deception is, keeps us from seeing the truth. So here's one of the ways this happens, that we are distracted and we think this is the issue. Man, if if I just had more time, everything would be okay. If I just had more money, everything would be okay. In, in, just a, you know, in just a couple years, finally when we get some stability and everything is good, then I'll work on my marriage. Then I'll work on my relationship with God. Once I get this thing settled over here, and once I get this thing settled, then I'll love other people. Then I'll serve other people. We dist- we're distracted thinking that the issue is something else. It's time, it's money, it's more of this and more of that. And, and once this gets settled, we're, we're blind to the real issues, the heart issues. See, what the Bible says is that what we need to see is our hearts are the problem. But what the devil wants to do is blind us and keep us distracted to think everything else is the problem. Every, I mean, when, when we look at life and we point and we say, that's the problem, that's the problem, that's the problem, that's the problem. Life will be better when this happens, this happens. And we don't go, man... Maybe I need to look at my heart. We've been blinded when we look at everything else and not, our, not ourselves, not our hearts, not the core issues. This is one of the ways that he blinds us. Another way that he blinds us is by twisting the truth. So he wants to keep us from seeing the truth clearly. And so one way is to distract us to look at other things, but another way is to give us a piece of the truth, but then to twist it. So maybe, maybe you go, man, this is bad in my life. And he goes, yeah, it is bad. But it's not that bad. I mean, nobody's perfect. And really, it's kind of a gray area. I mean, did God really say that? That's what he said to Adam and Eve. Did God really say you couldn't eat the fruit? Makes you begin to question. Makes you begin to think. What you've known is right and what you've known is wrong and what in your core, maybe, look, maybe this is right now. In your core, what you know is right and wrong You've got all these questions somehow about it. Well, you know, twists the truth. He twists the truth. Part of how he twists the truth is by even thinking, yeah, that is bad. This is bad over here, but you know what? Let's work on that later. Let's work on that later. We, you, you will work on it. You will, but let's do it later. Let's wait till we get this kind of worked out and let's get this resolved. And, you know, you don't want to talk to God about that yet. You want to first work on these things and then you can talk to him about that, okay? Just, let's just do it later. Twists the truth. It's not that bad. You can work on it later. Maybe there's even things that you hate. You hate, but for some reason, he goes, yeah, you hate it, but, but don't you like it? Don't you like this piece of it? I don't want to do that. I don't, ah, but look, yeah, it's true. It's true. It's bad, but don't you like it too? Twists the truth. This is one of the ways to blind us. This is a strategy that keeps us satisfied. Oftentimes, if we think about the devil, we think again that he's going to attack me. But this is a way that he just keeps us comfortable satisfied, content, happy, delighted. This is one of the ways that he works. See, it's not always linear, but oftentimes what happens is we are tempted, and then we give in to temptation, 
And now we're deceived in that, oh, I actually am just going to stay here. This feels good. And yeah, I will work on it at some point, but this is good and it's not that bad and it's okay. And I'm just misunderstood and all, all these different things. We, we are now content in the place that he's brought us into. But the third way is accusation. This is, so you can get tempted and then be deceived. And these don't, again, this doesn't have to be linear. You can get tempted and then be deceived or oftentimes get tempted and then hate it. This is where you experience accusation. See, the the word devil means slanderer. This is why gossip and slandering in the church is demonic. Because it, one of the things that he wants to do is to accuse everybody in your life. That is what the devil, that is what devil means, the slanderer. And Peter says also, he's your adversary, which means someone that brings a legal case against you or against everybody, really. That one of the things the devil does in his very name, you know, when people say, that's my middle name. Well, that's the devil's name, name, first name, name. <laughs> whatever that is, surname, or whatever the, the, you know, the fancy title for it is. <laughs> the devil wants to accuse every single person in your life. You, your community, and God. Everybody. He wants to slander all of them. And here's how this works. To God... He wants to slander God. He wants to accuse God. He wants to bring a case against God. That, that often starts with the Bible. It often starts with, you know, it, I mean, did God really say that? Is this really God's word? Is this really from him? Can you really trust this? It's accusing God. Or maybe it's just doubts, questions. Well, how could God really be good if he does this and this and this? Or are you, I mean, you really want to be a Christian? Christians don't believe in science. What do you do with the problem of evil? Christians are, you know, they've done so much wrong. It's it's to create doubts in our mind to accuse God. Or sometimes the way that he accuses God, the way he slanders God, isn't by saying how awful God is. It's saying, well, God's not really like that. I don't believe in that kind of God. I believe in a God of love. See, that's a way to slander God because you're slandering his true character and in saying, well, he's not like that. He must be like this, the God I want him to be. Or he can accuse God and slander God by telling him more about the relationship that you have with him. God doesn't care about you. He's holding out on you. God is holding, God is holding out on you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He's not for you. He doesn't want good for you. See, he's accusing God. This is what Satan did with Adam and Eve. God just doesn't want you to know the truth. He accuses God to you. He tells you how you can't really trust him, how he's not really for you. This is one of the ways that he works in accusing. Satan, uh, Peter points out in particular that he does that with suffering. That when Christians experience suffering, the devil tries to enter into that and use that experience to say, see, he's left you. He's abandoned you. He's not for you. Look what he's done. 
to you. Look what God did to you. This is why the main question that people have about God, the main objection people have about God is, why would a good God allow suffering? That's a question from the devil. Why would a good God do that? He's not good. He's not good. This is, this is what he does. He, he gets in to accuse God, and he gets in to accuse other people in your life. Sometimes this is in a general way, particularly with Christians. Maybe, you've, maybe you're not a Christian, and maybe part of what's kept you from church is these very accusations. All church people, they're hypocrites. All church people, they're weak. Do you really want to be a part of weak people where God is a crutch? Just very generic kind of accusations against Christians in the church. They're weak. They're hypocrites. They're weirdos. They're weird. Do you want to be, do you want to sing once a week? That's weird. Are you in choir? Very general kind of accusations. Or maybe it's very particular with certain individuals. They're fake. Don't trust them. They're not like you. They don't like you. They don't like you. You don't belong with them. You're different from them. They're different from you. They're dumber than you. They're not as cool as you. Or you're dumber than them. You're not as cool as them. You don't belong with them. He accuses other people. And oftentimes, this is the very people that God wants you to be friends with, that God wants you to love and be in relationship with, that God wants you to be served by through them comforting you and helping you and encouraging you and teaching you. And the devil says, no, they're stupid. They're fake. Don't listen to them. You can't trust them. You've been hurt before. You'll be hurt again by them. Or it's the people he wants you to love and serve. No, 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 no. Wait, don't. They're not worth it. Maybe if you're married, you might even have thoughts or, or it doesn't have to be married, just friends in your life and and just rolls in your mind like, ah, there they go again. Look what they did. Do you see what they did? They're so selfish. They're so mean. Points out to you other people's faults. Shows them to you. Puts them full front in your vision. Look what they did. Reminds you over and over again. Because what does this do? It divides. It, div- it slanders. It breaks down relationship. He accuses other people to you. When you, I mean, you pay attention to this, you'll hear it all the time. You just, it just rolls in your mind. You probably know other people's faults really well. And he makes a point, maybe, maybe genuine ones, but also false ones. Things you can't really know, but you think you know. Things that they tell you, things that he tells you, he's like that, she's like that. That was their motive. How often do we judge people's motives? That's what they meant. Really? That's what they meant? Who told you that? He accuses other people. He accuses other people. He tells you not to trust them. He reminds you, how could they do that to you? And he also accuses you. He wants to accuse every person in your life, God, other people, especially the Christian community, and you. 
often it's us, and when he accuses us, he goes after our past, our present, and our future. He goes every single piece that he can get. And here's what he says about our past. He says, look what you've done. Remember what you did. Remember what you did. They don't know what you did. And if they knew what you did, they wouldn't like you. If You're a liar. You haven't been real with them. You have not been real with them. And if they knew, they would never talk with you again. You're a faker. You're a hypocrite. And if they saw what you did, if you were actually honest and told them about your past, you'd be exposed as a fake, as a loser. They probably wouldn't even want to see you again. Do you know? Do you remember what you did? I remember. I saw it. I was there. It reminds you over and over again. This can be in just thoughts that come up during the day. It can be in dreams. It can be from things that you see that then for some reason it just brings back emotions and experiences. I was there. I remember. I'm never going to let you forget it. You know what you did? I know what you did. Reminds you of your past and says, that's who you are. You're still that person. You're still the same. That's still you. Tries to keep it fresh and vivid in our minds over and over and over again. Like a videotape on rewind. And he tells us about our future. He accuses us of our future and says things like this, you're never going to change. Let me tell you what your future has for you the same. You're never going to change. You're always, always going to be like this. Really, you know what? It's useless. Why are you even trying? Why are you, do you think you're going to be different? Remember the past? That's who you are. That's who you're going to be. That's what this holds for you. You're not going to change. You're always going to be the same. Life's always going to suck. It's useless. Give it up. Why are you still trying? Why are you still trying? It's, it's, there's not really any hope. Life's not going to get better. Tells us his version of the future and the present. So he, 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 he speaks to every single part of our life, every single timeline of our life. And in the present, he says things like this. You are a failure. You're a failure. I mean, you just really are. You are a loser. You're a failure. And you're just stupid. I mean, you're just stupid. And really, you're just dumb. And I mean, everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. Everybody, when they look at you, you know what they're thinking, right? They laugh at you. They don't like you because they shouldn't. You're a loser. You're a failure. You're dumb. You're worthless. You're a screw-up. I remember this one gal that um, had carved into her arm, and I mean carved into her arm. I won't use her real name, but she wrote, Spelled out, F-U, Bethany. And she said she just felt like a total F-up. 
And that's what she heard over and over and over again. You are. You're just a screw-up. You've really made a mess of your life. Keep trying, but it doesn't really matter. Maybe it's this. This is, this, this is why. Points out the things that you do. This right here, this is why you're still single. This right here, this is why nobody likes you. This is why nobody invites you to hang out. This is why you're broke. This is why that guy gets the promotion and not you. This is why people avoid you. This right here, this is why. See it? It's what you just did. This is why. Or maybe it's even, the Bible says this is wrong. Let me, let me show you. I mean, the, you know, the devil's great at script. Let me, let me show you right here in black and white. What you just did, you know the Bible says not to do. And you did it again. He just talked about that on Sunday, and you just did it. Look. Look what you did. Again, look. How many times have you read this, dummy? How many times have you, how many times have you heard about this? Over and over again, you've heard about it. Bible says not to do that. God says not to do that. Why would God want to talk to you now? Why would God want to talk with you now? Really? So wait, wait, wait. You're telling me you want to go talk with God after that? You think God's going to forgive you after that? You really think that you should pray after that? You really think God loves you after you did that? You've spent your whole life doing this, and now you want to go talk with God about it. Over and over and over again. Maybe he even says, sometimes, you know, he twists things again and says, yeah, you should talk to God. You should. You should talk with him. But not yet. Not yet. I mean, I've talked with some of you. I know that you, you've heard that. I will. I'll talk with him, but not yet. I've got to work on it. Yes. Gotcha. He accuses God. He accuses other people. And he accuses you. Your past, your present, your future. And here, here's the thing. Some of the things he says are true. Some of what he says is true. I mean, some of what he says is fact. You did do the things that he's reminding you of. The Bible does say not to do the things that he pointed out that you did. Some of the things that he says are true. They don't have to be lies. They can be 100% true, but he uses them to beat you with, to shame you with. They're not intended to, to help you. They're intended to harm you. So he speaks truth sometimes. But he speaks truth in a way that is to devour your faith. This is, see, what he wants is one of these responses. He wants you, when you hear what he says in his accusations, to just be in despair. I'm horrible, I suck, I'm a loser, I'm awful, and he wants you to stay there. Or he wants you to kind of get up the courage, pull up your bootstraps, and go, all right, I'm going to change. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to get after it. I'm going to go. Let's do it. I can do it. I can make it happen. Or he wants you to go, no, that's all not true. Maybe even spiritual language. Those are lies. That's not true. I'm okay. I'm awesome. 
God wants me to be happy. What I'm doing is okay. You're wrong, devil. I'm right. I have confidence in me. All three of those keep you from Jesus. All three of those keep you from turning to Jesus. They keep us in ourselves, whether in despair or in pride or in, or in willpower, but all of them keep us from Jesus because he wants to devour your faith. He wants to keep you at all costs from turning to Jesus because Jesus, that's where change happens. That's where forgiveness, that's where if you honestly say, yeah, I did do that, that's where you receive forgiveness That's where you experience the empowerment to actually have your life be different. That's where you experience comfort. That's where you experience peace. That's where you experience a greater vision of him and a smaller vision of yourself. So everything he does is to devour our faith. To keep us from God. He attempts and then maybe deceives or accuses and it all keeps looping around. He weaves back and forth and back and forth between these. So how do we resist him? How do we resist him? Because his work is pervasive, it's wise, and it's dangerous. So how do we resist him? What what do we do? Because it's pretty important, huh? Peter gives us three things. He says first that we need to be sober-minded, which is this. We've got to think clearly. I mean, what would you literally do if you knew there was a lion out to get you? I mean, it's just some genetically Monsanto-modified lion that wants to eat you. Like, it just smells your DNA. It just knows you, and he wants to eat you. I mean, you'd probably live your life a little bit different, Right? He's just out. To, I mean, so that's what sober-minded is. It's think clearly. Because this lion exists and he wants to eat you. And so think clearly. Have your spiritual faculties clear. This is part of why sin, habitual sin that we get stuck in is so destructive because it, it clouds us. We can't even see clearly anymore. Sober-minded. And second, he says, be watchful. Which means this, we should have a proactive approach to discerning and looking at his influence in our life. To be watchful is to go, okay, so where is he doing those things in my life? Where do I see him now at work in my life, deceiving me, accusing, tempting? To be watchful is to be aware of how he works. And because of time, I'm not going to do these slides, um, but... An excellent book is um, called Screwtape Letters. And if you're in our church Facebook group, I will post up this uh, blog that this guy did with a summary, a one-sentence summary of each, um, of each chapter. And it's amazing because it shows us all the subtle ways that he's involved. And what you see is often it's very normal ways, often very normal things of how he's at work to devour our faith. So he says to be sober-minded, he says to be watchful, and then he says to resist, to resist the devil. So how do we resist him? How do we actually resist his work? Sober-mindedness, watchfulness, and then Peter says resist him standing 
firm in your faith. Resist him by standing firm in your faith. And here's what this means. That doesn't mean just having faith. It means standing firm in it. It means having a firm grasp of it, a firm use of it. So it's not just, I have faith. Peter assumes that, but he says, stand firm in your faith. Use it, activate it in your life. Not just, I believe in God, I trust in God, but use the faith you have in your life. Stand firm in it. And then Peter later says, clarifies, and, and, or rather further explains what he means and says, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. See, to stand firm in our faith is to stand firm in the grace of God. That's why Peter says he is the God of all grace. Stand firm in your faith, seeing that he is the God of all grace. Stand firm in your belief, in your grasp, in your trust, in your rest, in your joy, in his grace. So what does that actually mean? How, do we, how, do we, how does that resist him? When you're tempted, when you're tempted and the devil says, this is good, this is good, to stand firm in faith, to stand firm in grace is to say, you know what, maybe it, it might feel good, it might sound good, but I know that God is for me because of Jesus on the cross. I know that he loves me, and so I know he wants good for me, and so I don't have to choose what you're saying is good. I already have Jesus. Or when you're being deceived, when you're being told, hey, over here, think about these issues. Stay on the surface. Don't, go, don't, don't, don't look deeper. Standing firm in grace says, you know what? I can look at the very core of who I am and see maybe I'm the problem. Because grace enables me to own my failures because Jesus already died for them. Or when you're being accused, or he's accusing others, or he's accusing God, once again, standing firm in grace, says, now God is good. He gave me his son when I was a sinner. When I was a sinner, he gave me his own son. He's good. You can't accuse God to me. He's good. You can't tell me he doesn't love me. He gave his life for me. And when he accuses other people, yeah, okay, maybe they've got some faults, but standing firm in grace says, but God has forgiven them. But they did this to you, and they did this to you, and they did that to you, and he's forgiven them, and he gave his life for them, and he loves them. That's standing firm in grace. And when he accuses you in your past or your present or your future, you say, no, no, no. I did that. You're right. I did that. I did it. I'm guilty, and Jesus paid my price. That's standing firm in grace. I did it, and he paid for it. Or right now, you're a failure. No, I'm not. My identity is in Christ. When God looks at me, he sees his son. That's how God sees me. He sees me as his very son. Well, you're never going to change. Yeah, I am. Because I belong to Jesus and he's filled me with his Holy Spirit and he's not done with me yet. See, none of that is I'm so great and I'm so awesome or I'm so horrible and I'm so bad. It's all Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I can own it because of Jesus. I will change because of Jesus. My identity is secure because of Jesus. 
That's standing firm in grace. I can resist temptation because of Jesus. I don't have to be deceived. I don't have to be blind because of Jesus. How do you resist the devil? This lion that wants to devour your faith, you stand firm in grace. And so when we take communion tonight, I want you to think about where have you listened to accusation about God, others, yourself? Where have you been tempted? Where have you been deceived? Ask God even to give you clear eyes to see. And then as you come and take communion, remember his grace and ask him to help you to stand firm in his grace. If you want to pray afterwards tonight, I'd love to pray with you and talk with you. If you feel like uh, this is something really strong in your life right now. There's a real lion out there. But you know that the Bible um, says that G- Jesus is the lion of Judah. And Judah is a tribe of Israel from which his ancestry came, but it says he's a lion, a stronger and a better lion. So we don't have to be afraid that Satan's a lion because Jesus is a stronger, better lion. A lion that's not seeking to devour, but a lion that is seeking to give life. Let me pray. God, I thank you that you are gracious. And um, God, I ask that you would uh, unblind any eyes that are blind. Father, I ask that any ways that the enemy is working in this church and in the individuals here tonight, Lord, that you would expose those, that you would destroy his work. It says in 1 John that the Son of God came to destroy the work of the devil. And Lord, I pray that you would destroy his work in any way in which it is active in people's lives here tonight. God, destroy it. We ask you to do that. Lord, Do that work. Let no one here leave tonight still in his grip, still believing his accusations, still stuck in his temptations, still giving way to his deceptions. Lord, let there be an active repentance tonight of all the ways that we have aligned ourselves with Satan. And let us turn to you in repentance and stand firm in your grace. In your name, Jesus.